Well, that we just heard from uh, Fritz Kagi, a real interesting, uh, happy candidate. I mean, that guy is very, very glad to be all set to go. Very glad to be jumping into the gaping maw of uh, Cook County politics. Um, and now for a slightly different take on civic life, etc. Um, Tom, why don't you introduce our, our second and final guest today? Judge Nancy Katz, who recently retired from family law, uh, primarily in the circuit court system of our county, um, has agreed to come on chat a little bit because judges tend to be, once they become judges, kind of not in the background, but they... Their ability to speak publicly and frankly is somewhat deterred by wanting to remain impartial, unbiased, and out of the political fray. We're not going to talk politics so much, although I have a couple of questions towards the end. But I thought it was a great opportunity, fresh from the bench, to talk with a live living judge about what's it like to be a judge. And, you know, that's pretty simply, Nancy Katz, what I wanted to have a conversation around this Saturday morning breakfast table here. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about... Hey, wait a minute. Where's the breakfast? <laughs> how long a judge you were and exactly what kind of cases you took a look at over your career. Well, first, I want to thank you both for having me on the show today. It's a um, treat. So I was a judge in the Circuit Court of Cook County, an associate judge, which means I was an appointed judge for almost 18 years. And except for the first six months, all my service was in the Domestic Relation Division of the Cook County uh, Court, which means that I heard custody, divorce, domestic violence-related cases, child support, and that kind of uh, cases. So that's my area of expertise. I have to say that being a judge is one of the best jobs one could ever hope for if your interest is having being involved in the justice system, because you get to do justice every single day. So it was a wonderful job, and I loved just about every day of it. Wow. That's saying a lot. Yeah. So when we pick up the newspaper or listen to broadcast news in particular, it's a lot of police blotter stuff. Uh, you were not involved with murder trials or drug busts or shootings in the street. You were dealing with much more basic human nature clashes uh, around divorce and child custody and those strike me as really tough issues. How did you get up every morning and get excited about going into that, well, a, a place where human frailty and frayed nerves and all that are really present? I think that coming from a, an advocacy uh, background, the Domestic Relations Division was a perfect place for me because there is a place that people are addressing the things they most care about, their children, their family, their income, their house, even their pets, their ability to survive post a relationship that's gone south. So people really care. It's not just about dollars and cents and money and which corporation gets more out of a particular contract. It's about people's life and the things they care most about. So it was, for me, a very meaningful place to work. Yes, there's a lot of misery involved in family law cases, but it's also an opportunity. It, as you know, there's an old and kind of trite saying that with crisis comes opportunity, but there's a core of truth in that. That's a place where people have an opportunity to change their lives and for the better. Us Catholics called it a teaching moment. Yes. <laughs> it's a, a way of wiping out the suffering in favor of what'd you learn? That's right. Um, you know, you were, also, you were also a judge in the years of LGBTQ um, issues coming into 
probably into your courtroom from time to time. You know, the first uh, week that I was on the bench in 1999, the associates all took turns doing Saturday marriage court. And so I was the first of the 15 in my group to be assigned to marriage court. And I was extraordinarily upset because here I am, I'm a judge in the circuit court of Cook County, and I have the authority to marry people, but I could not get married myself. Mm -hmm. And that just struck me. And I I said that to my colleagues, none of whom were lesbian or gay, and they were all stricken. And they said, can we take your shift for you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is there anything we can do to help you? And so coming from that 1999 moment to seeing first domestic partnerships be accepted in in the state of Illinois to Illinois supporting lesbian and gay marriage has been a profound experience to to watch those changes and to experience those changes and later and to have the opportunity to get married myself so it's uh it's been a sea change I, I like to say when I came out in 1973 it was like jumping off a cliff into an abyss. You couldn't see the bottom. You didn't know what your life was going to be like. In in my wildest dreams, I never thought I'd be a judge in the Circuit Court of Cook County. So here here we are in 2017, a different world. Talk talk a little bit about why you decided to get into law. What was the what was the catalyst that that moved you from what I vaguely recall back in Uptown days was social work. And now you're, you went to law school and you became a judge. You know, how, how did that... Well, I was living in Uptown at the time, and I was working at a program at Northeastern, which was a tenants' rights center. And I was working a lot with the Legal Assistance Foundation lawyers there. And I, I knew it was time to make a decision. Which route did I want to go? Did I want to continue in community organizing or, or go to law school who, so who that I organizing could, with in Uptown? Uh, well, you know, we worked um, in this Tenants' Rights Center. It was part of Northeastern, and it was a paralegal right. training program, but it also provided a valuable service to, to, to Uptown. And we worked hand-in-hand with the legal assistance office there and the other community activists, some of whom are sitting in this room. Voice of the... <laughs> Voice of the people. Mm-hmm. We got a receivership thanks to LAF team approach that mm-hmm. wasn't really had been done that way before and saved a building that would otherwise right. be dust today as That's a right. result. Good work. Good work. I interrupted you. You were you were So so I thought, okay, community organizer law. I thought, okay, law has a little more wide avenues of of forward paths. So I went the law route and I was very lucky in the area of in the era of Reagan, Reagan to be um, uh, employed at the Legal Assistance Foundation as my first job out of law school. So I got to continue to do the kind of advocacy that that I wanted to do mm-hmm. with in poverty law, working first in the Uptown office of LAF, which mm-hmm. was a wonderful place to work with great colleagues, and I think we performed a very valuable service. It just the problem was that there weren't enough of us. Did your caseload include, um, the? Uh, did it go into domestic violence cases? Yes, uh, I did. Uh, I did a lot of orders of protection. I uh, represent a lot of victims of domestic violence, overwhelmingly wom- women, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, domestic violence cases in, in those early days yeah. at LAF. You know, it's interesting in the light of this whole, uh, the era that we are in of Me Too and... Uh, you know, kind of, okay, full steam ahead. 
mob justice, whatever you want to call it, that's going on right now around us seems, um, it seems odd to me as a person, a feminist who came through the feminist era, which created the, the phrase domestic violence, created um, women's shelters and um, just a whole lot of support of, you know, the whole notion of a rape kit. And um, and treating victims as uh, victims, not perpetrators, started in that time, and this many years later, is is being you know part in a different way altogether, being dredged up. Um, what do you think? Where do you think this is going to go? Where do you think it should go? Well, first, I was delighted to see that the word of the year is feminism. Mm-hmm. So, in some ways, I th- I think mm-hmm. we've come around in a circle. It wasn't popular to be a feminist in the late 60s and early 70s, and then feminism kind of took hold. We had the Take Back the Night marches. We started domestic violence shelters, and and then there was kind of a period where that was not a popular person to be, and now I think what we're seeing is a resurgence and a remembrance, and the, the millennial generation is looking at the work that was done before and now carrying it forward, which is really incredibly gratifying. And that Me Too, um, I I had a dinner party not too long ago, and every single woman at that party had a story to tell about an assault or something of that nature. It It is the woman's experience. So it's great to see the public dialogue on those issues. Now, d- to me, okay, the, I'll say the unpopular stuff. I'm not sure that everybody should be fired uh, on the basis of someone saying, this person made me feel bad. Let's, let's find out, you know, there is nuance. There has got to be some nuance. As a legal scholar, how are we going to find, how are we going to define that? You well, know? I think just as in the domestic violence world, we look at a scenario and there are different Violence plays different roles in different families. There are families where violence is a way to resolve problems. Mm -hmm. It's not the kind of uh, classic intimate terror that that we know of. It's that people haven't learned other options. So there are certain remedies for that family. And then there's the other families where it violence is a matter of power and control. And those families need a different intervention Mm -hmm. and a different approach uh, to to change the change that family dynamic yeah. and just like sexual harassment, someone who's stupid and doesn't and, and says things that are uh, you know inappropriate is a very different is is a very different situation than someone who is aggressively touching people or propositioning them or is uh, Selma Hayek's incredible New York Times editorial, which moved me to tears. Uh, Incredibly uh, well-written. There are monsters. And so we have to look at what we're dealing with and and respond appropriately, whether we're talking education or removing someone from a position of power and control. So Selma Hayek did a great service by writing about her experience in the way she did because it, it really does speak to the the width of the bandwidth of abuse yes and how how it i mean her description of how it affected her was pretty powerful and and uh, you know i i I just really wish we'd get a little bit more uh calm voices about this right now and um you know 
I, it's it's just it's intense. And you're right to swing the back from the '70s, the feminism of the '70s. And I, I don't know if I'd call what's going on right now feminism per se. It's reaction, but. You know, we'll see what, what it brings. You're listening to Live from the Heartland on WLUW 88.7 FM. We're talking this morning with retired Judge Nancy Katz. And um, I'm tempted to continue in that thread, but I actually want to go somewhere else now, which is what was your highest profile case and what was it like going through that? Well, let me just say, um, you know, while domestic relations cases are not confidential, we try to, to the best we can to preserve the confidentiality of uh, parties' um, mm-hmm. uh, situations. So I had the range of cases from dealing with people in uh, multi-million dollar businesses in addressing child support and custody to dealing with the individual case of intimate terror. And in my mind, those cases are of equal significance. So, yes, I, I had a lot of rich people cases, hmm. athletes, and, and the like, but the cases that moved me more often were those cases where your intervention made a difference in people's lives. And sometimes for the hmm. high-income families you did, and sometimes it was for uh, a people of very modest means. So I, I don't see... Uh, the interest of my cases in, in the who's who had the most money, <laughs> but I think where did I make the most difference? Interesting. I, intimate terror, quite a phrase. Uh huh. It is because that was really what you phrase. what you were in the middle of so often. Uh-huh. Um, so, what does a retired family law judge do? <laughs> well, after seventeen years in family law, it it became very clear to me that the adversary system is not the best system for families. Mm. It, you know, many people who are going through divorce or have a custody dispute are not enemies. They're not adversaries. They're trying to find a common path to move from being spouses to parenting partners. Mm-hmm. And the adversary system is not necessarily the best system. And there's been a growing move towards mediation and arbitration, but particularly mediation of family disputes, so that instead of being adversaries, you can look for common interests and help move people through that process in a, in a much gentler and more humane way that preserves the relationships. Well, that because simply sounds smart. It, absolutely. Mm. So now what I'm doing is I, I work through an entity called JAMS, which is a national entity. We have 27 neutrals here in Chicago area, and I predominantly specialize in family law mediation. And a lot of former judges are going that route, that they move from litigation to mediation and arbitration, helping people find a better way to resolve conflicts. Hmm. So will this allow you to become more political in this environment where LGBT rights or other issues on your personal agenda may be able to be flourished some more? Well, there's a trade-off when you're a judge, and the trade-off is you get this wonderful opportunity to render justice. The trade-off is your personal voice is somewhat tempered in the community. And so there are ethical rules that preclude judges who are not running for office, uh, publicly supporting candidates. We can always contribute to political campaigns. We can certainly vote. But, but we trade that public voice for 
the important role that we play in society. And by the way, if you look at what's going on in the national scene, judges have played an incredibly important role in restoring uh, democratic rights with a with a president who would like to uh, be a dictator. And so judging is a very important role in our society and having neutral and objective judges is important. But now that I'm off the bench, yes, I can go back to kind of my community roots and get more involved politically in, in the issues that are facing our, our city. Some people saw a questioning of a, a potential judge this week for the first time. <coughs> Federal judge. Did you see that <coughs> question, questioning? Well, there's been several judges that have been um, recommended by the current administration that have been found unqualified by the American Bar Association. One, I think, uh, voluntarily uh, stepped, uh, stepped down, and one was approved uh, by, by Congress. And it, it, it is very disturbing to see yeah. uh, the erosion of uh, the federal bench in, in that way. He's passed more. He's gotten more judges through in his first year than any other president, is what I understand. That's, Tw- that's, what, that's what I've read as well. And, of course, they they were standing in the way of Obama's judges uh, for the last couple of years, obviously the famous one being his Supreme Court pick. Um, I'm, I'm a little, I'm, I'm, we need you to speak up. Thank you, and I will. <laughs> Good. Well, I think your answer showed where you, you might be headed. You know, where there's you, the, yeah. there's a interesting dynamic in the judiciary because there are many good judges who came out of the Republican Party. There mm-hmm. are many good judges that came out of the Democratic Party. And we have to remember that there are many judges, and, and I believe this having been a member of that club for a long time, I was very positively impressed by the neutrality and the uh, commitment to justice in making decisions not on the basis of Democrat, Republican, but on the case and the understanding of law. But there is often a slant in ideology that brings people to the bench, and that is the issue of concern. I have no doubt that Trump's pick for the Supreme Court will do his best to be neutral and make decisions that are as he sees the law. But of course, he comes with a certain slant. And that is the danger of having Trump appoint as many judicial uh, candidates as he's done. Should we, be, should we be electing judges? You know, that is a difficult question. I know, that's why I asked it. <laughs> there's, there's a big debate in the, the legal you know, community and the community at large about whether judges should be elected or appointed. In Cook County, people elect people they have no knowledge of. They look at their name. Is it a man? Is it a woman? Irish surnames win. Um, you know, uh, ethnic names do not win. So the elected process is broken in terms of appointing judges. But if an appointed process is put into place, the real question is who picks? And how do we make sure that right. it's not a, um, a, a, a political process? So right. it would have to be carefully constructed to make sure that it's a merit a merit-based system and not a political system. Do you, I, I, I've, I've had this, I mean, I've, we've asked other judges this question. We've had this conversation, as you said, forever. How would, how would that happen? How would you make a merit-based system not get entangled? I, I don't know how. It, different states have different approaches, but yeah. I think the, the ones that are the most effective involve the bar associations, okay. vetting, vetting the candidates Mm -hmm. and then you have some sort of bipartisan panel 
that selects. I think so that it's would a be a slating process almost by by a bipartisan group. Well, you you would need a vetting process that is respected and produces viable candidates, and then some sort of a bipartisan approach, so that. The, you know, it doesn't depend on the Republican governor or the if it's Democratic a Democratic governor or uh, to make that final cut, but it's based on as much as possible on, on merit. You talked about in retirement uh, doing these mediation cases. In fact, your face lit up. It's clearly something you have passion about, and God bless you for being there, having a daughter who's just gone through divorce, um, and which involves some mediation. But I'm really curious, beyond that professional work, what desert island do you want to travel to? What's the other stuff you're going to do in <laughs> retirement? I think travel is definitely on the agenda, and I've done some travel with my wife. We've uh, traveled to Arizona. I went to Alaska this um, June, and we have some travel coming up. We just came back from Sanibel Island. So travel will definitely take a higher profile in my life. My photography will take a higher profile in my life. And just having... a more control of my time to be with family and friends is of high value to me. So what kind of photography and what are you going to do You know, I mostly do landscapes and some birds so I produce produce my family calendar every year. So uh, Out of Montrose Point? uh, You know, variety of places. I just came back from Sanibel Island and there's a wonderful uh, wildlife preserve there called Ding Darling and I got some wonderful heron and uh, pelican pictures. That's just off uh, Clearwater, uh, Sarasota. It's it's very close to Fort Myers. Fort Myers, yeah. Okay. And if you're lucky, you can be on my holiday calendar list. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's nice. Absolutely marvelous. So, um, I'm going to push this political thing a little bit. Who might you be working for in the upcoming primary? Well, I, you know, is there I a particular so- campaign or race that you're concerned about? I promised myself a year off. All right. So until uh, next July, I'm taking a low profile, I'm building up my mediation practice, and kind of taking uh, some time to really think through where my energies are best uh, best used. So I'm, I'm in the deliberative process. So, so then let me ask you a different question. What do you predict? Do you predict we'll change governors this year? I hope so. We've had a terrible couple time. of years with, with a lack of budget, which has had profound implications in the state of Illinois for social services and social justice. And it has been very difficult if you have a disabled child, if you need public transportation. All the issues that the state funds have had terrible times because of the lack of budget and the lack of political will to do the right thing. And I think it's time for a change. Yeah. Good. Your lips to the goddess's ears. Are you at all concerned that the county budget challenges will have an impact on your jurisprudence role, your colleagues who are still on the bench? Well, I'm I'm very concerned that the um, budget uh, have. I'm concerned about the effect of the budget on the court system. I know that Judge Evans has recently filed a lawsuit against the county in order to preserve his ability to make the important decisions about how the budget is spent. And I think that the probation department plays an invaluable role in criminal justice. So I I would hate to see cuts to that. I'd hate to see cuts to the security uh, for the court system and the people that come to the court every single day, thousands of people. So uh, the sheriff's office is also 
has concerns about the budget. So it, it, it does have implications for the third branch. What do you think, in closing, Nancy Katz, is the biggest misconception people might have about your role as a judge, particularly in the family law arena? Well, I think what should they understand that they actually end up in that system? I think that um, our, our trust has eroded in the in the <coughs> in any public system in, in the in the in the last number of years, and if anything, I want to reassure people that there are really kind and caring and uh, compassionate and smart judges that are going to do their best to do the right thing. And they are in the circuit court system. That's good. That's good. a good way to end this out. Nancy Katz, thanks for your life's work to date. And uh, may the rest make you smile as much as you are right now. Thank you very much. All right. We want to thank our guests, Nancy Katz and Fritz Kagey, for joining us this morning. Next week, we'll have an interesting lineup, but we'll be back at the Heartland Cafe for the end of the year show, December 30th, featuring Mick Dumkey and Romana Hussein, two journalists, along with singer Nicholas Barron, one of our very favorite folks. Please like us on Facebook at Live from the Heartland Radio and at YouTube.com Heartland Media. And thanks to all those who make this show possible. Yeah. Lynn Orman Weiss, Nolan Chin, Dan Kugler, and my colleague Katie. Do good in the world. The The world world needs needs all the good that you do. do. All All power power to to the people. people.